Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we let you get to the meat of it. We are live this Friday in Ballymun in the Axis Theatre and we cannot wait. Hope to see lots of you there and there's a handful of tickets left. Eventbrite.ie, click the link, it's in the pod you're listening to right now. Grab them, come along, have a great night out. I promise you, great night's entertainment. We also need to ask for your support. I know it's awkward, I know it's hard, but we really do rely entirely on listeners. There are thousands of people listening. We need some of you to put your hands in your pocket and pay it forward to keep these podcasts free and accessible to all. You join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise It's the price of a cheap point once a month and you get access to all the podcasts as quickly as I can turn them around in one feed entirely plea free. So you don't have to listen to me actually beg and unfortunately beg is what we must do uh, please consider just click on the link and see if there's a level that you're comfortable with that you can help keep this show on the road it makes all the difference uh, i wouldn't ask if we didn't need and unfortunately i understand that it's tough out there and i don't like rattling the bucket but you know this is the era we're in now it's not quite austerity in, in the way that we understood it from the last crash but it's certainly a form of austerity with this cost of living crisis and it's hitting us as much as it's hitting everywhere else so if you can patreon.com forward slash tortoise I won't delay any further enjoy the podcast welcome to reboot republic the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality we are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope and i'm your host rory hearn delighted to be joined uh, back on the podcast today by two great friends of the the pod, Orla Hegarty and Killian Woods. Um, great to, to have them back again. Um, and it is housing, build to rent. What's happening with the property market? Where, where are we heading? Um, what's the potential? How can we get the state to construct homes and make sure homes are constructed and built and developed and the environment as well? Because we are at the time of COP27 and what? how is it connected? Um, I was down in Cork. Spent a couple of days, uh, launched, my book was launched at Waterstones, really, really good, uh, great event, great turnout, really impressive energy. But I went on the, the Derelict Ireland tour with Frank uh, O'Connor and Jude Cherry um, and really just shocking levels of dereliction in Cork City. We know it's across the country, but um, really just when you see it and you go, you know, just the failure, the failures of councils, of government to allow this situation. But anyway, we'll get on to that. But before we go to that, Tony, we have a, a live podcast. So yeah. We'll be delighted to hear. Yeah, no, next Friday, the we're, we're going, we're di- Ballymun are putting on, they put on this Wellfest for the last couple of years, well, for a number of years, but unfortunately it had to be done online as everything was done online during COVID. So it's part of Wellfest. It's part of mental health. It's, it's part of giving back to the community and people coming in, sharing ideas. And we have been asked if we can pack out the axes on a Friday night. And we will. It's going to be a tortoise shack live. It's going to be a great crack. Uh, it's, you're going to see all, I've said this before, all the familiar faces from across the tortoise shack, but don't let that put you off. Come along anyway. It's going to be a bit of crack. And tickets are only about, I think they're about 14 quid, Rory. Members get them for about a tenner. And we're not making a cent ever because the money's going back into the Ballymun Community Fund. So it's going to be in a great night in one of the best venues in in, in North County, Dublin. Uh, and my yeah, my backyard, I'm delighted and really, really looking forward to it. It was flattering to be asked. Uh, and I really, really hope lots of you will grab them because it's a great cause. And I promise you, a good night's entertainment. We will yeah. say more as when we can. It will be good crack, Tony. And I look forward to... Uh each of us uh, ripping the mick out of each other and uh, doing the usual. Um, 
So yeah, it should be good fun. Uh, and, uh, let's tell the with, truth. Tell the truth. They are always the best nights out. They are always the best. We have had great nights. Um, in uh, I can't even remember them. They were, they were so good, Tony. <laughs> yeah, where, yeah. Where, where were they? Missed the Sugar Club, but we're oh, going. Oh yeah, we'll, that's we'll, right. We'll, yeah. we'll probably be back there, but nonetheless, this is a different thing. This is giving back to a place where the place where I was brought brought up, Rory, or dragged up as me as as other people tell me. And he actually allowed back there, Tony. Are you? I, the, you know what? The, I I still live technically in Ballymun, my friend. How you doing, your you know where? <laughs> it's the it's the Glass Nevin part of Ballymun that's closer to the Fingless part of Cabra. <laughs> we'll stop. Listen, My head's spinning already. Listen, we better we better get this show on the road. Absolutely. I'm going to go to Orla first. Orla Hegarty, um, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Um, you know, it, your um School of Architecture um and uh, Environment UCD, um, you know, long time, long, long practice and experience in housing. Um, we've talked so much about the housing crisis. Um, in a way, it's changing all the time. And in some ways, it's worse than it ever was. Um, and we're seeing the situation change. Some potential in, you know, some councils are getting housing associations to build social housing. We're seeing it. I've actually saw it down in Cork, a development by Cluid um, with Cork City Council of 112 um, apartments. But on a broader level, it's nothing level to the scale of what's needed. And when we look at the private market now, uh, commencements falling, um, and uh, as Killian Woods highlighted in the Business Post on the weekend, Kennedy Wilson and the Bill to Rents, um, delighted uh, they see you know long term prospects really positive of you know perpetually inflated rents. As I said, it's uh, our housing crisis is their business model. Well, where do you see things at now? Uh, hi, and thanks for asking me back. It's it's nearly four years since I did the first one of these, uh, which is surprising to me. Um, it is a yeah, long time, is, four it years. It is a long is time, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as you say, we still have the crisis. In in a lot of ways, it's it just got worse. You know, the, the homelessness numbers, the family homelessness, the cost of everything. Um, and I think, I suppose, it, it is changing, too, in that, you know, this is a moving a moving process, you know, and we are always in an economic cycle in one direction or another. And I think what's frustrating, I think, you know, looking at the last few years is how many opportunities were missed, you know, yeah. how many real opportunities there were there to to take cheap money um, to support the construction industry, to build capacity, to drive for affordability to build capacity in the local authorities and other places who could deliver. Um, so much was put outsourced into other people who would manage and look after all of that and find the money. Um, and, and those people may not stay around now, you know, and and yeah, they're only here as long as the market is rising and the market is not rising anymore. And as you see, you know, we see commencements dropping off because the confidence, confidence isn't there for there to be uh, people next year to take the product they're delivering. You know, I was just looking this morning on on the rental website and there are over yeah. 400 um, rentals available in Dublin today, which, you know, sounds like quite a lot until you look at the prices. Um, the prices are astronomical for rentals in Dublin now. I, I mean, they're beyond the reach of people who are earning over 100,000. And if you look, if you refine these it. Are, down, these are like, I, I actually was, this was sent on to me during the week there, you know, rents two and a half thousand for um, two beds and, and even one bed's 2,000 for a one bed. And that's not including if you have a pet where you'll be charged an extra 50 euro. And if you have a second pet, 
you'll be charged an extra 30 euro. And if you have a budgie or a, a mouse decides to stay with you, you'll be charged another 30 euro. Just on absolutely crazy stuff. Astronomical. I mean, if what I refine down that 400 and 1% of them are suitable for families who have 1500 and 1500 is a stretch for a lot of families if you need yeah, if you need a two is. bed and there's that's only one percent four properties in dublin two beds at, at under four properties at four, two beds under 1500 there are four properties available out of the 400 wow that's um and, and i agree i mean the you know the lifestyle impact on this you talk about pets which not everybody wants but everybody has to do laundry you know, none of most of this new build doesn't have space for people to do their own laundry or to dry their own clothes, which means they also have another expense of doing all of that outside of their own home. You know, lots of things that we we took for granted when we live in a less dense way with housing, even people who had very small corporation houses and lots of children had space to put a porch on the front or a shed in the garden or a kitchen extension or put the Christmas decorations in the attic or whatever they needed to do. Um, there is no um, there's no wriggle room at all in these there. Everything is minimal. You know, everything is monetized. As you say, a pet costs you. Laundry will cost you. Um, everything is is going to be uh, adding to the cost of those homes and limiting people's lifestyle. You won't be able to have people around for Christmas. You'll be looking for somebody who's got a house to invite you or a bit more space. Yeah. Um, you know, where do children learn a musical instrument? You know, where do they practice? You know, um, where do people have a hobby? How does somebody with a disability even move around these spaces that are very small? I think we, you know, we really have lost so many opportunities to build decent housing at decent prices. Yeah. I'm going to come back to Orla to ask, uh, what do you think should be done now? Um, so I'm going to go to Killian now. Killian Woods, great to have you back. Last time I saw you was in um, Hodges and Figgis in Dublin. You were doing a, a great launch of an amazing book, which I'd recommend people to read, called Gaffs by some fella. I don't know who he is, but uh, listen, you did a great uh, talk of it la of that night. Uh, how are you keeping? Good. You still, you still owe me that um, glass of wine that your child spilled on me. Um, you know, oh. that, like, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you were yeah, chasing you, you... around the place, so they had to do something. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was that was that was a great night, yeah, and it's I'm glad to see that that, that the book's getting the pick up that it, that it deserves to kind of really highlight the housing crisis in a new way or to explain it in a new way. But just to talk about just onto that stuff about rentals, because I've actually I don't know if, I, maybe I've forgotten if you asked me a question there, Rory. But, no, I didn't, um, Killian. I just knew you, you would say something really clever and uh, insightful, so I just let you off on well, it. Well, just on that, I was itching to get in there about the rents because you know we've we've discussed for for a while about looking at how oh rents have gone out of control and Dublin rents have gone up, let's say yeah. two thousand or two two and a half thousand for like a one to two bed small apartment in in Dublin. And regardless, just just taking it like taking out the loaded language, even small, it's not even necessarily a choice now which I'm coming across in my reporting about paying that much, you know, like we, we, these sort of apartments are coming to the market now and, and sure there's a, there is some market for them and there's some of them are filling out, you know, we're, we're based on the public view of the records, apparently Kennedy Wilson are filling out their, their portfolio nearly at occupancy, but it's not a choice now if you want to spend two grand of your wages on an apartment, it's actually will they let you spend that much of your wages on an apartment where we've got Greystar, another big another growing landlord in Ireland in who owns apartments and Griffith Wood and owns um, apartments in 
um, double landings, and they will they'll decide if you are a risk risk risky enough or not risky enough to be able to charge that much to. So they would they'll they'll look at your wages based on how much you can actually afford and discount you. So even if there is supply out there, and even if you're willing to gouge pay the gouge price or pay the price of two and a half three thousand, even if you can afford it they might deem you not within their own affordability metrics. So, so they yeah. would, you would need that say nearly a six figure sum to even get a chance to give over that much money to them. It's not about a choice of saying we're really at the edge of our tether, right? We'll pay two and a half grand because we just need somewhere to live. If you don't, if you, if they don't deem that you have, you earn enough relative to how much they're going to charge you, you won't even get in the door to look, even if they have it empty. So that's is also another way we need to start looking and talking about the rental market is there are units out there, but and they are at this price. But even if you're willing to pay that price, you know, they might let you pay that mm. price. Which is something, and it's, it's hard to measure that because you, you can only do that by secret shopping and by asking them and getting turned down, but it's becoming more apparent. Yeah, no, no, it's really interesting because it raises the question that you have highlighted before in your researching uh, for your articles and, and the articles you've covered, that this question of, you know, <laughs> because the, the kind of logical conclusion from that is if they don't find people who they, they deem as being financially viable, they won't rent the apartment. They will leave it sit vacant. Mm-hmm. And you highlighted, for example, uh, Capital Doc, Kennedy Wilson's block that had vacancy levels of 50%. But we have since seen, and, and Kennedy Wilson report, they have 98%. But I was actually, was a tenant of Kennedy Wilson was in touch with me and said that as far as they saw that there was a number of units vacant, the higher end ones in their development that was being left vacant as far as they could see. Um, and I wonder, you know, can we trust these figures? Um, or is it a case that, you know, uh, corporations like Google or whoever are, are buying, are not buying, but like taking long-term leases and if they don't have workers in them, they just leave them vacant or like is is even that, the, you know, can we trust these figures? Because um, what we're hearing anecdotally is that there is actually level of vacancy that's well, yeah, like I, I think the same thing, and like these are these are figures that if you were to mislead the market on them, you'd be in a lot of trouble. So I, I think there's probably some truth in that they are let in some extent, or someone's paying the rents on these. But like that's if if you go if you drive by you walk by some of these developments at night, it doesn't really take much to work out how full yeah. or empty they are. Like yeah. you know, you you think you think people are now winter at home and the lights are out on lots of floors and a lot of these are not dual aspect homes so they're you know the lights will be on should be on on both sides should be on all sides of them but i think that that was a big push that kennedy wilson in particular did just uh just at the kind of i suppose is there an end of the pandemic i'm reluctant to say that word but just maybe the start of this year when it was looking like a lot of restrictions gonna be dropped they did a big push on going pitching their apartments at the Oh, companies rather than the people, and telling mm-hmm. companies, "Look, you, the, you, your staff are struggling to get in. We, yeah. we have accommodation for them." And I would hardly guess that that's so, that those some of those lets that they say they have are actually corporate corporations letting them to put people in them either short term, either for they need somewhere if an executive flies in that's too expensive for a hotel, and they've worked that's cheaper to get this person in. Into this, into this, into capital dock, or into these one of these um, these developments, short term like this. So, I, like, I think there is a lot of corporate that's skewing that, but proving yeah. that is 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 now is is a different matter. 
Yeah, Tony, you want to come in there? No, I just I want to go back to Orla on the point though about no people not having the space to you know dry clothes or or do things that need to be done. And one thing that we've seen, Orla, that you know, if you recall, a number of years ago, they were talking about these these buildings that we're going to need. And sure, it wasn't there a, a professor from Valencia was at at a, at a conference we were at with Lorcan, and he was talking about sure, who needs a kitchen? We can eat outside. Who who does this? We can do that outside. We can't. <laughs> we don't have those resources, and now we've, yeah. we've spent years of listening to the, the requirement for these micro apartments or these small apartments, and now um, we're seeing well, you know, the the market has dropped out of it. We, I mean, Killian, I know you cover this, but we see across urban areas of the United States, it's the, the that's starting to turn. It's it's turned hugely, and in, in the last quarter alone in the UK, we've seen falls of of, of the value of these portfolios between five seven percent. Many of these funds are saying. No withdrawals, which is a really bad sign from the financial markets. Mm. But these, we're still going to be left with these units. Um, mm. What do we do, or, or 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 do we, or how do we make them more livable? Or is there a way of converting these? Um, yeah, there's a couple of questions there. I was actually at a property event in Dublin a few years ago where somebody from one of the investment um, companies said, you know, our target market are not people who need kitchens. You know, we put in a small kitchen, but these are people who get free food at work and they're never yeah, home. Yeah, but we're, they're, um, they're, they're, now, they're now cutting back on jobs, those companies. Yeah. These these companies we're all supposed to, we've, we've, pegged, we've pegged our economy to. They're now letting go people. Yeah. So uh, as you say, the housing stock has been has been built. Um, a, a lot of what is rental only that has been built to now was built under the previous build to sell standards. So um, some of them are built to better standards. And obviously, co-living was cut back on, although in some ways, student housing has become the co-living because student housing was oversupplied to, a, you know, at a very expensive price. And a lot of those now are being used by workers, really, in, in student housing. Um, so co-living by the back door. Um, but we have a lot of permissions uh, now again, and, and Killian will know this for the, you know, the strategic housing developments that are built to rent standards that are incredibly dense. And, you know, these are buildings that are going to be difficult to maintain and clean and manage and operate because of the density. And I would worry that, you know, when people can't get premium rents, um, particularly with the lower standard stock that's coming on stream now, that the state will step in and put a lot of social housing tenants in or, or you know, in some way see the stock as being something they can take on, uh, but won't match it with the level of maintenance and management and security that is needed for that density of occupation. Because if you put a lot of people, you know, hundreds of people sharing a corridor and smelling everybody's dinner and hearing their telly and banging doors um, in very close proximity with very little amenity space, uh, you have to manage that building very carefully and you have a high demand on, 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 on all of that side. And if it's taken for social housing, that that won't be won't be managed. You know, it's no accident that in the past, if you look at even Dublin City Council's blocks, they have always minimised the shared areas, done as much, you know, own door accommodation, even in the denser blocks as possible, um, so that people have, you know, that sense of privacy and breathing space and control over their own environment, um, rather than that issue of, you know, long internal hotel corridors problems with people not feeling safe and and you know the level that that has to be looked after so i think the form i suppose i suppose architecturally the form of some of these um uh, very dense uh, rental units are going to be you know really difficult to manage properly in the future and and i worry that we are building tenements in some places yeah absolutely killian i the 
question of what's happening in the private market now, um, as we said, commencements falling, which you reported last week and uh, was shown by 14%. Um, the private developers, investor funds are, you know, the phrases have been used, you know, the, the private market going into deep freeze because of the interest rate rises in terms of them accessing finance, but also then the fear of will people be able to buy, who will buy, the investor funds are stopping buying, people won't be able to get mortgages, they can't afford the, the units, and the cost of living crisis, that actually we are seeing developers stopping building or mothballing projects. Um, and of course, it shows the, the, the flaw, as I've you know pointed out, at the heart of housing for all was this over-reliance on the private market. But just in terms of that, what's your reading of talking to people in the, the private construction industry? I know, you know you're good friends with them, lots of them, and um, I'm kidding about that. But no, in terms <laughs> of you're talking to, to sources, no, you are talking to people in the industry. Um, what's your assessment of that? Are we likely to see this further fall back or, or what's going to happen, do you think? They, they, from what I hear from talking to them is that they still want more assurances or it's more, you know, you know, maybe concrete backing from the government they can build. And like, they still now, it looks like now, like you can kind of, it, it's interesting. I know Orleans looked at this before. It's like, you can watch the kind of trends in lobbying and what's been lobbied for and how, and it's so, I, I, I feel conspiracy theorist level to, to talk, say this, but it's so coordinated. And now the, the newest coordination, the latest coordination of it all, is I think the next big push will be for tax cuts to, yeah. to just bridge that gap between what why they can't why they can't build and why the viability isn't there now and that tax cut apparently will attack a cut and whether it's they said they haven't made up their mind really where they want it yet but some form of tax cut whether it's on VAT or just pure tax breaks to try and get going will be required to bridge that gap between why they can't build for a certain price and then sell sell and sell still make a profit by selling. Or even selling to a fund like now that 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 really worries me. Talking to them is that it seems to be they can't see way of viability viably building houses. You got to maybe take some of that with a pinch of salt, and that naturally that's what they'd say to try and get tax cuts. But once you give that sort of bit of rope there, um, maybe that's the wrong analogy, but you give a bit, you give, you give a bit of give and take. If you give like that, never get that back. That's that's just gone forever. Really, like one, once you give those sort of levels of taxes and already we're kind of already are in the subsidies that are looking to be given out and they've not even been taken. Um, I think they're not happy with the what the government have come to them with, which is like ta- you know, essentially tax breaks in the form of subsidies to build apartment blocks and to bridge the gap between how much cost building an apartment block to actually selling it like that to Creek Conaha fund. They're not happy with that. Even when the government offered to buy them, buy them flat out from from them as kind of turnkeys, so like you know, buying buying the house before they're even built or kind of entering pre arrangements to buy them, they're still not happy with that because they're not even biting the government's hands off those sort of deals. Which was surely you look at those, and I was surprised at that. So that's just to fill you in. That was Dublin City Council, all the all the local authorities beyond yeah. Dublin City Council. They all went to developers and said, "We are interested in buying thousands of you. Like we, we will buy them off you. We will give you assurance. We'll." a contract we'll do a ford ford purchase rate whatever you need we will buy these off you we're looking for high spec high density 100 plus units and we will buy them off you we have the money to do it and they got like 29 back like 29 individual homes back that's something they didn't even get like up to into the apartment block levels they got 29 one application to give them 29 units when they were looking for thousands and that's mirrored across. And I'd say that's just Dublin City Council got back some inquiries. The rest didn't get any back. 
like I don't really understand that the market they're trying to get to the stage where they're again foolproof in the market that it's there'll be money there no matter what. And now the market isn't even in interest in building for that. It's it's hard to put a read on maybe but hard to answer your question because it seems like they're very pessimistic at the moment, ready to just pull in the mat and just ride out the next few years. I don't I, I don't know what those next few years will look like, but we're seeing, as you said already, with commencements falling up. Again, it's saying 14% doesn't sound like a lot when their commencements are down, but that's those are trending downwards monthly. That's just the start of a trend that we're pointing towards. And, you know, it, I, I found it interesting to hear Dara Brown on the TV the other day saying the commencements are going to be record level this year. Like you'd need like beyond record levels of monthly commencements to catch up now and even last year. It's not going to happen, um, yeah. so I think it's it's very worried. It's very very worried uh, yeah. next in the next while about what, who will actually build the homes, whether yeah. even even for investment funds. It doesn't look like there's going to be those are those projects are stalling. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's like, what I've that's what I've heard in terms of speaking to people in the building industry, um, who I would know they're you know working on some of those big investment projects and um, have told me that they you know when they finish off the big project they're working on is going to be finished probably early next year they have nothing lined up after they're saying they're hearing of um builders being laid off um in around the country in some places um orla what what do you take what's your analysis and what do you think should be done on this yeah, I, I was just trying to see if I could get it to hand in a minute, but um, the um, I, I suppose I, I would totally agree with Killian on the coordinated lobbying and the spin that goes along with that. And I, I mean, I think we have got to the point. Now by who, have, Orla? By who? Who are we talking about? By, uh, by a, an army of vested interests who, because there's so much money in all of this, and an army of, uh, so, I suppose, some of them being supporters for whatever reasons, some of it being ideological some of it being, you know, the useful idiots who go along with it, I suppose. Um, but I mean, but the, are we the, talking about like large developers? Can I come in? No, 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 it's on that very point. I um, am awful rowdy today. No, 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 no. Um, noteworthy, you've done a brilliant investigation. Cormac Fitzgerald has done a great investigation into the lobbying that's taking place. The second part will come out tomorrow and we'll name names. And we will have them tomorrow on the podcast of, of people who have been involved in. But in this. you know, the lobbying register is only a fraction of it. That's what, I mean, that, and that's what the, they're pointing the, out. The, 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 there's, there's, there's over two hundred fifty people missing from the lobbying register. No, but I mean that isn't even. I, I suppose more so than that. I mean, when I see what happened around the reduction in apartment standards and the introduction of co-living and the lifting of the high caps and all of those, um, the department held consultations with invited um, um, uh, people invited to contribute, um, and because they're invited to contribute, they're not required to be on the lobbying register. So a lot of that regulation was written with vested interests. Um, and and you know was done um, invisibly, I suppose, um, and that's only a part of it. Uh, you know, beyond that, you know, we have the two. What I would see the two great lies at the moment. One is that the planning system is a problem, and that's to do with um, a, an agenda for deregulation, because ultimately we're hugely reliant on speculative land development for our housing, and speculative land development is now hugely reliant on deregulation for its profits. Explain so, speculative land development. Pardon. Explain, because not everybody, when you say speculative land development. Well, I think, firstly, I suppose people think when we talk about builders and developers, it's all the same thing, right? When when the state goes out to build a school extension, um, uh, architects and engineers put together a package of information for what's required. They tender it out to the market. Builders bid competitively. And and then they are given a contract with very specific instructions about how to build that school extension. And they're paid monthly 
when they build the work properly and they finish it within the year or whatever. Um, that's not how we build housing. Uh, so the state uses that uh, traditional way of, of, you know, to build uh, hospitals and schools and everything else they do. Mm. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to housing, what they do is they 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 say to people, um, uh, we'll buy the houses off you when they're finished. You go out and find, you know, go out and find land, go out and see how much planning you can get on it. Um, and then, you know, when you've added a premium for all of that and all of that risk, um, you know, you can sell it to us for whatever you whatever you want. At the end, you can set your own price. Uh, so we have in, in housing, we're hugely reliant on developers and they're very much making their profit years ago was out of rezoning of agricultural land um, and now it's out of densification so um, if they bought a site or they got a site from NAMA for 100 apartments um, at 25,000 a site um, they then uh, still had the cost of the site for 100 but they got 200 apartments on it and that doesn't mean the, the apartments they sell are cheaper it just means the land is more valuable. Yeah, because a, a parcel of land for 200 apartments is is much more valuable than one for 100 yeah. apartments. Yeah. Um, so we've had this massive push on deregulation and we had lots of sites that had planning permissions ready to go that were abandoned to go back to Board Planola for something more. Um, when we could have been building very cheaply and uh, at low interest rates, uh, that opportunity was missed. So we now have 40,000 uh, ready to go planning permissions in the Dublin region and let yet the line 80,000 nationally it's 80,000 nationally and yet yeah. the lie is all over the media that the planning system is the barrier you know and the other lie that has been sold to people is that construction costs are so high that a standard salary will never be able to afford a property again uh, you know and that's another lie uh, and that's because the build to rent sector um want everybody renting um, so the obvious way to convince people that they need to be lifetime renters is is to tell people that they will never be able to afford a home. And, you know, 200 or 150 kilometres from Dublin, we have new built houses for sale for 250,000. And yet people have been convinced that the same house in Dublin is 450,000. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that that's due to construction costs. And it's not due to construction costs. And, you know, uh, so so I suppose those those two those two big lies have been promoted by a lot of people and academics and people in the media um, uh, with very little interrogation. And, and when you try to, you know, interrogate that or to look for evidence, the evidence isn't there that the planning system is a problem and the evidence isn't there that construction costs are the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Killian, I'm just going to shift it on the, the question of the environment and climate, because we are in the the uh, week of COP27 um, and a huge focus on it and, and this emergency in terms of climate. And of course, climate and housing is, is intimately connected and the environment in that, you know, we, you know, we have most of our personal energy consumption is within our homes. There's also huge consumption of energy, what's called embodied carbon in the construction of new buildings um, and not just the construction of the new buildings, but in greenfield sites, you need the infrastructure put in roads, water. Whereas, of course, the issue is that we know the greenest buildings are the ones that are already there in our towns and cities. And many are derelict, many are vacant. What's your assessment of why? Um, we haven't had a real focus on dereliction and vacancy um, in recent years in terms of, or not just recent years, but um, yeah, it, it, I suppose over the last, you know, eight years or so, it, you know, there's been just there's no serious attempt at it. Why do you think that is? I think it goes back there. It's not the real profit in it. That's not where the profit mm -hmm. is in making mo making money off construction. Is not in you know flipping out. Not it's in redoing homes for use. Like the, there was, I suppose, there was the 
a scheme that I don't understand why wasn't more used um, and yet to see anyone come up with a reason why it hasn't been is the repair and lease scheme that seemed like yeah. a, a good scheme for not a good scheme a good scheme for people who own property currently to repair it up and lease the council for, for a lot like de- two decades more or more that seemed like a foolproof way of getting properties back into use it was like it seemed like printing money to me like it was like here you've got a derelict property maybe in the city centre in the Galway or Cork city centre the government will give you tens of thousands of euro to do it up and then lease it off at the end it seemed like a foolproof way of getting homes fixed up Probably ter- it was only really picked up in Waterford, where it, where there was a push by local councillors and TDs to try and, and senators to try and get it used by people, get homes back into use, and even then only got a couple of hundred back into use, which is it's still still some. But I can't believe that wasn't communicated better to people that we're we're gonna give print print you get here's a license to print money off the government for twenty five years if you do up your direct home. Yeah, at, at this even well, there's also there was until there still is a denial in government that that, that there's that there's a dereliction problem and that you know that that we don't need a vacant property tax and even though they're bringing it in or even we had we had well vacant home taxes coming in we had a vacant property tax essentially in in the de- in the vac- vacant site on the yeah. vac- in the form of the vacant site register for some reason they scrapped that to give another three-year lead-in period before bringing in the land like the lands that zone land tax which seemed just so beyond stupid that you get rid of any sort of penalty in the near term on hoarding land during a housing crisis which is well, pathetic to even to get and to, to, for the need to give a lead-in time that was in the housing for all and budget last year in the, not the most recent one last year's where they had a chance to keep the vacant register vacant vacant site register going and they got rid of it to bring in this new thing and felt the need to give a three-year lead-in period to give people a fair chance to get used to the new system there's just not an acceptance in government i think that there is a that vacancy is an issue that it can that that there's not there's not a really there's some some pieces of housing for all have like you know, certain grants that are coming in, like Creek Conahan towns, that will actually give money to people to do up homes. That's available to you at the end of the process. I understand, so it's it's not it's not necessarily it's easy to get it up front to get to get access to it. It is something, but it's really some token gestures. And even to the degree, so I was getting to the point that they won't admit that there is a vacancy problem in certain towns, or they're kind of regarding even low levels of three to eight percent of vacancy in towns and cities as being acceptable. Like, you know, in these sort of terms, I don't think you can really talk about any level of vacancy is acceptable. And even if it is acceptable, then surely why now is the time to bring in taxes on vacant homes that are just sitting there idle when there's apparently no problem? That would be surely the best time to phase in a tax on vacant homes. It's just a handy thing to have in your system, right? You know, it's a system that penalizes hoarding of property no matter what scale the market, size, size, the stage of the market it's at. But yeah, but ultimately the answer to the question is there's not an acceptance that vacant homes can be part of the solution uh, because governments see, feel that the numbers have been skewed by different reports that come out and no one can settle on an actual amount. Yeah, it, it's, it's. I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a denial and, and on the face of it, they'll say, oh yeah, we're taxing vacancy. And But you're right. I think there is an absolute denial that there is you know, a significant problem or, or an issue of vacancy. And again, as I was referring to at the, the outset, like take a, a two minute walk around the city center of, you know, any of our cities and you can see, and this is part of the issue, derelict buildings, which actually aren't even counted as vacant. They're not included in the figures. So we don't even collect 
Um, you know, we don't even count, we don't have the data, the information, which is a big part of the issue. We don't have a property register. And it is back to that, you know, that failure to um, really understand and value, you know, our housing system, our property system, um, and tackle these sort of issues. It was like all about the developers, they build in greenfield new sites and um, also the, the lack of connection with our urban centers of, of people who are in power, I think, as well. Orla, in terms of climate and the environment, where do you see, I suppose, housing as playing its role? You know, I've made the argument that there's a real potential both in retrofitting homes um, and building new green homes and refurbishing derelict ones that really we could be doing a lot more to address our climate targets through housing. Well, we could well the retrofit program needs to be you know it needs to be very ambitious and more and more you know i mean that's first off i suppose is and that's improving um, existing buildings um i i'm i'm also concerned about our new build you know because we have sort of taken the view that if they are well insulated and and not leaky well then um we're doing our bit for climate but yeah. you know if you have policies that have very small apartments that are not suitable for people and are too expensive in the cities um and what the result of that is that you get huge amount of building again in the commuter belt and so you know there's no point having an a-rated house in the commuter belt if there's two cars outside and and you can't even buy a loaf of bread without getting into one you know and Absolutely, the children have yeah. to be dropped to school and you're you're commuting into the city every day because so you know the tiny saving you're making on heating the building is lost 10 times over in uh, in the commute and in the impact of moving around from living in low density in in the in the hinterland so um, I think there's not really joined up thinking. And I think a lot of the push for, you know, for the type of city housing we have um, is is just making that worse. Um, I, I pulled out the commencement notice um, that you mentioned earlier, actually. And you can see the pattern there because um, nationally for June, July, August, September, commencement notices are down 24% compared to last year. Um, in the Dublin um, local authorities, they're down 60% on September of last year. So September 21 to September 22, but they're only down 10% in the commuter counties of Dublin. So clearly, you know, the market will keep uh, is is it's riskier to to build uh, in the city because the market isn't there for high price rentals, um, and that is pushing more and more people into the commuter belt into an unsustainable lifestyle that will be yeah. have an impact for for a long time. So, um, what we really need is to keep families in the city and to shorten their distance so that they're either in new suburbs where they can walk to school and walk and cycle or get public transport most of the time, um, or that we take over, as I said, the vacancy and dereliction is, is really shocking. I was in Limerick last week and same as you will see in Cork and, and Dublin, you know, the um, the number of vacant buildings, vacant upper floors, empty sites is really shocking. And it the whole place just looks so run down when you see streets like that. Yeah, no, no, it absolutely is. And I think, I think you're right, you know, in terms of looking at really tackling um, and, and really creating, you know, the, the we, people are here, the whole notion of the 15 minute city, but you're so right. That analysis about, you know, the commuting and the pushing into commuting and what's the, you know, the, the, the not just, you know, obviously in terms of climate, but also, you know, in terms of life and, um, you know, quality of life for these people, for people as well, you know, long commutes and the been able to spend time with family or in the community and all, and all that, um, those issues. And of course it is because build to rent, you know, is, is a certain type of development that, you know, doesn't facilitate communities, doesn't 
you know, build communities. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's structural transience in some, you know, in a lot yeah, of ways. In yeah. that you are not um, giving people uh, the type of home where they can have security yeah. um, and that you get a lot of um, coming and going in terms of that community not being a long-term community, you know, that we would have had traditionally when new homes were built, whether they were private or council houses, that there was a long-term community that were kind of the glue that held a lot of the activity together and people supported each other. Um, but we have kind of built in a, a sort of structural transience in in the sort of built to rent model that expects people not to stay very long and and to move on. And, and you know, to go back to the spin, I mean, those of us who have called out that structural transience have been called racist. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, the whole... There's been a huge onslaught and, you know, I've uh, received it, you've received it, uh, you know, this this onslaught of, you know, anyone who criticizes Bill to Rent or challenges it is uh, ca- called all sorts of things. And, and it's, um, you know, it's been a real, uh, very difficult time to be, you know, trying to have a, a rational discussion about this and, and to be seen as critical. And it does raise the question. Um, about our great, uh, as they call them, as Tony calls them, the supply guys, our, our buddies, the supply bros, who who just go on and on about, uh, oh, where's the supply going to come from? How are you going to, if the investor funds don't do it, who's going to do it? Um, and if the market doesn't do it, who's going to do it? Which does raise the question, uh, who will do it? Now, I've um, made the case that we need, I think, a state construction company, a development company that would hire um, the builders on permanent contracts uh, the tradespeople, the professions that would work with local authorities to to build, to actually guarantee that building alongside. And, and we've been speaking about this, Oral, and I'd be looking forward to, mm-hmm. to, you know, your thoughts on it. Alongside, I think, supporting, as you've made the case for many years, SME builders, small and medium uh, builders, not developers, but actual builders, giving them a secure pipeline of contracts as well. Um, and the likes of supporting the likes of Okulon, um, and local authorities as well, that I think that there's, there's a, a multiple pronged approach we need um, to rapidly increase our, what you might call outside the market uh, development capacity of housing. And um, that would include contracting builders to build, um, but I think would include a state construction development company as well. Um, maybe your views on that, Orla, and then I go to Killian. Yeah, well, I, I have I have no issues with developers building houses. And um, what I would like is more competition in the market. Mm. Um, the EU Commission have already said that one of the issues with house prices in Dublin uh, may be due to a lack of competition in the market, and that means that there's a few players. Uh, people who would like to get involved are locked out because they can't get their hands on land and finance. And a small number of players are setting, you know, the high prices and trickle feeding the market. Um, so it, it's dysfunction in the market. It's not it's not an issue with developers uh, at all. Um, I, I would like to see more people um, and more people who are maybe working as small builders being given the opportunity to access land and finance cheaply um, and to be supported to set up small development companies um, and and to be bringing forward supply. I think that would be really great and, and a good solution. Um, the root of it, I suppose, is that back from the time of the crash, um, when the, you know, the uh, development, speculative land development crashed the economy. Um, We've had 10 years of helping speculative land development to risk the economy again, rather than supporting the construction industry. And, you know, I would make the distinction that we haven't uh, actually enabled the construction industry to build capacity to expand and be on a good footing. And again, people are very nervous about, about what's coming, you know, but where are 
where are the supports for um, SME contractors and subcontractors to invest in equipment, to invest in training, to take on apprentices? Um, and as I said, to access land and finance if they want to uh, become developers themselves um, so that we uh, de-risk a re- recession. You know, we need to de-risk our housing supply from a recession. But at the moment, we are we're hugely at risk um, that any um, uh, downturn, which looks like it's coming, um, will mean that some number of large players will turn off the tap. And, and uh, you know, the, the losers will be that the housing supply won't be coming on, but also the construction industry will be left um, again wondering, you know, uh, are we all out of work now? Do we emigrate? Do we lose our skills? Um, where do we go? So ironically, we could have loads of land, loads of builders and no construction. Yeah, yeah. Killian, what's your take on it? Yeah, like, and it's. I think it's been said to me a few times recently that you know, if we if we if we had a state construction company, it would be like children's hospital over and over and over again, mm. and it would be expensive, and we would we do we do building projects badly in Ireland on a state level, and they always cost more than they cost. But I think maybe maybe and yes, I'm not saying the children's hospital is coming in with a good budget. I think is that a sacrifice that would be willing that be good to make to have control of it at least like that that's the thing now we we have we're showing a lack of control over large parts of our economy the government's saying that corporation tax receipts they have no idea where they're coming from from why they're so high and we can't even work out if there'll be year how how long we can expect to pull those in there's a lot of yes a lot of multinational jobs coming in now that are apparently looking very very vulnerable to being cut and that, and that we have we've relied on jobs from companies that are willing to over hire based on speculative sales into next year that now apparently aren't going to happen and now all of a sudden those people just lose their jobs on a whim of a spreadsheet saying these sales won't be there anymore and the likes of stripe and meta with facebook and twitter um, and then and now we have like low, no control over like one of the largest most important parts of our economy which is housing and you know, it, it maybe that yes, we don't do building products maybe to to budget for the best. And maybe maybe the state isn't the best always at being efficient at build, building housing to a certain cost. And maybe you can get there's maybe it costs more than the private sector. But is that possibly made my reading? Is is it worth it to have that? Like, or well, we shouldn't aspire for it to be. Yeah, you know, that's I'm not saying we should. That's not that's not good enough. We should aspire for it to be overpriced, but maybe having control of it is worth it if we have our own. Yeah, I mean, all I can say, Killing, to that is that like I've been teaching construction procurement for more than 20 years, you know, and we have uh, plenty of uh, very skilled uh, people in the construction industry, in the professions and in management who deliver very complex, very difficult uh, projects all over the country all the time. We have the skills and expertise uh, to manage construction procurement in housing. Um, we they, There has always been a technical solution readily available there if it was done properly. But the vested interests against it are, are, are significant. And you know, we we could we could solve this problem. You know, we have the people who can solve this problem. Yes, construction uh, procurement is is difficult. It's a specialist area. Um, it's difficult in terms of managing risk, managing money, managing time, managing very large groups of people. But we have people who are doing that. Uh, to a very, very high level all the time. And, um, you know, the difficulty is, I suppose, you know, when we look at, say, the Land Development Agency or other institutions that are involved in making uh, policy in some of this, I don't see that 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 construction procurement skill is is there. Um, Really, what has defaulted to is more property development 
uh, more outsourcing control to develop uh, to investors um, and and piling risk into the system because as we saw you know Rory will know from the PPP housing projects in Dublin that all failed um, in the crash you know if you if you pin everything to the market and the market's not going your way everything stops yeah yeah no I, I think you know you're right we do have the capacity and we have the skills and you're right the danger is it's going to be emigration again we're going to lose it again um if we don't figure out ways which we can keep this in um within the country people who have the skills and using them to build homes as well um because we know there's hotels being built there's other things being built that you know aren't a, aren't being a priority but i do think it, you're right orla in terms of that construction procurement expertise but it's also the understanding of housing and this argument is being made that the land development agency the minister said it to me like he said oh the land development agency is your state construction company i was like oh, it's not the land development agency is a bunch of ex-nama asset managers and um it's not about understanding housing community procurement you know design development of of actual you know community housing and and the delivery of that as well and i think that there's a real issue with that now whether it can be radically reformed and changed but i do think there's a real question about the trades and giving employment to trades and building up that capacity um, and I think there is a role for the state to be doing that and the private sector as well um, to be building up that capacity because we have to. Because when we think about this into the future, you know, we're going to need, you know, massive refurbishment, massive retrofit. And if we don't, you're right, Orla, build up that capacity in a real way, we're just going to be facing this kind of chronic ongoing crisis into the future. Yeah, and I mean, it's not said often enough that one of the problems, you know, one of the reasons we have an issue with the quality of our housing and apartments and construction is we've had that boom-bust cycle where yeah. you know, either there's there's no work and nothing has been built or there is work and everything has been built too fast by people who don't know what they're doing, yeah. you know, and, and we have that cycle again. And, um, you know, I, I would really feel very strongly that the government need to look very hard at construction in the next month and job uh, retention in construction. Um, and and that we have job security into next year because, um, you know, you can talk to property people all day about housing and they will be confident because that's the business of property speculation is confident. Yeah. They're um, always confident. Prices are always going up. Yeah, I have to say something because last weekend Ireland beat South Africa in, in the rugby. Go back, to, I think it was 2009. I'm sitting in Croke Park in Ireland playing South Africa in the rugby and I'm there in a corporate box and there's members from... Um, local authorities as members from uh the some of the bigger banks and we represent we're all trying to things are starting to really wobble but still at this stage if you recall the glass the glass bottle bottle plant mm. <laughs> it was just hilarious there was literally people who had vested interest sitting at this match passing it around i, I had a front row seat to it and i just and one fella said to me just shut up everybody gets a touch and here we are now, 10 years later, and you guys have just had the last 40 minutes. And we're talking about the fact that we're back at this level of where is the what, you know, why does it cost so much? Why does it deliver so much? And I'm thinking I'm back in Croke Park and I'm back, back being told by someone digging me in the arm to say, shut up. Everybody's getting a touch. Yeah. Well, remember that the people who are advising on property deals get paid at the beginning. They don't really uh, they're not around when the thing falls apart later. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, I think it's so important that we do highlight those interests and because people often think, you know, why are these decisions been made? And is it just government doesn't care? Is it just is it ideology? But it is also interest. It is the interests who are driving 
uh, policy, and we don't talk enough about that. And in and and Killian, you highlighted very well in in with Kellen D. Wilson, and I'm also very struck by some bizarre uh, universal connection that uh, your initials are KW. And I'm just thinking, is there something weird going on here? Um, I'm looking at you. I promise. Huh? There's not, I promise. <laughs> but no, uh, the Kennedy Wilson, you know, it, it, literally, you know, lauding the ongoing crisis as a reason why investors should be confident in them. Of course, they're going to say that. But, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, the question of the public and what the public are going to do, I think there's huge attitudinal changes going on amongst the Irish public at the moment around housing and seeing it and like I'm hearing it all over the place people saying you know we have to get back to building council housing you know we need use it or lose it for dereliction these are not like people on the left or anything like that these are um you know Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael voters, whatever people you know of all backgrounds are just going we've got it so wrong it has to change and that's where I think the hope is that there is that sense that things need to be done very differently. What do you think, um, Kennedy Wilson? Yeah, the KW picked up on there, which um, is actually so I can hide in the background of some Zoom calls where I don't, it's not handy to have it listed that (laughs) someone's going through an attendee list that says Killian Woods, so people speak more freely. It's where you can get better better news stories is when people feel they're not, that there's not a journalist on a Killian, I think we need to edit this out, by the way, (laughs) but go ahead. That's fine. No one's picked up on it yet, and uh, KW. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't make too much of a big deal of hiding in the background. Um, like, yeah, like if we're going back to this this idea of like, yeah, we're just lost control of, of building yeah. building in Ireland, and and I, I know, yes, it can be it, it it can be spun one way and said one way that we're bad. And again, Orly, you, you you put me in my place saying we're, we're, there, there is this narrative out there that we're bad at building mm. building big projects and that we've well, done it before bad, in the past. Buildings, every government is bad at big projects. You know, it does a pattern. Um, there, but, it's, but it, but, decisions are often political rather than what's yeah. technically best. But but, now, but the, but the risk of government. losing control. But but the risk we of did losing big control. projects in the past. Sorry, I I, I, I I cut across. Yeah, I should have been more clear of what I meant. We've been really successful at housing projects in the past, really successful. And very Ireland's been very proud of the success of that. I, I suppose I mean the, the one-offs like a children's hospital or the Scottish mm. Parliament or those kind of big trophy 10-year projects are generally very fraught. But, but I'm, I'm reluctant to you leaving to get by into even, even if you come at me with a, a mountain of different examples of one of our projects that didn't work and why we shouldn't have the state building out the glass bottle site, you know, it's, as an example, maybe of why, or, you know, let, let's say if the state tried to do the glass bottle site like like the Ronan Group and Lion Corps are doing instead, and those thousands of homes, oh, it'll be another children's hospital times 10. You know, I'd be reluctant to even buy into that narrative, even if you had a mountain of research to show me that. Because it's building it, it's, it's like nearly giving in to failure. It's like, oh, we're bad at it, we'll always be bad at it. It's like, but that's not a way, like we shouldn't aspire for just, just because building projects and build big building projects sometimes go wrong or can be expensive in Ireland, doesn't mean we should just be defeatist and never do anything like that in the in future and leave it all to the private market. But, but you know, uh, there is, there is also a difference. You know, when we build yeah. a children's hospital, uh, there's no income coming from it effectively. We get the benefit socially in terms of children's health and exactly. conditions of the staff and it'll be there for 200 years and it's, it's an amazing building. It's very impressive. Um, but we don't get rent from it, you know, whereas if the state went and took somewhere like the Glass Bottle site or, or O'Devany Gardens and, and broke it up into, you know, master planned it and broke it up, um, they are performing assets as soon as, you know, if you give a if you give a small builder a million to build four units, 
um, uh, they get sold and that capital rolls over, you know, and, and they are performing assets for a bank of somebody paying a mortgage. It's a completely different thing. So, you know, uh, we don't need all of the money, I suppose, is, is what I would say to build out these sites for the government. Um, housing is incremental. You can build it in very small phases. And as soon as it's occupied and providing rent, you know, I mean, the example I suppose O'Coulon gave before is they did a six million um, euro housing development, but they only needed 1.8 million of borrowing. You know, because the money just keeps rolling along to the next phase and and there's income coming from either selling off the first batch of houses or renting them or yeah. selling them to a fund or a pension or whatever you want to do. So it's completely different. And, you know, the idea that we have to find all of the money to build all of this housing um, isn't it doesn't make any sense. That's not how it needs to be done. We just need seed funding to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and listen, Orla and uh, Killian. Thank you so much for um, joining me again on Reboot Republic. It was great to have you back. And uh, I know our listeners really appreciate it. They're always really well listened to episodes whenever um, Orla makes an appearance or even Killian. And I think maybe it's the first time we've had Orla and Killian on the same time. So I think we've done other things, but not this one. Yeah. Expecting a bumper listen on this one. Um, So... (laughs) So listen, thank you so much. And uh, just to shout out for actually a couple of things. Um, the Raise the Roof Civil Society Coalition is organizing a protest on November 26th in Dublin at one o'clock on the housing crisis. If you can um, come along, please do. And also I'll be in Limerick um, in UL, University of Limerick with Katu. Um, and the uh, University of Limerick Postgrad Students Union in UL giving a talk um, and launching my book down there on the 24th of November at um, uh, half five and then in town at half seven um, in Limerick City. Uh, the venue is, uh, I can't remember, the Wickham, the Wickham venue um, in in Limerick City. So really looking forward to going down to Limerick and meeting people and chatting to um the many of our listeners and other supporters did, and people did you, who are interested. Did you, did you write a book, Rory? No, I didn't. No. Uh, uh, listen, folks, if, it you, was if, 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 you get, if you get this in time, you can still vote for Rory. Who has been nominated? No, that'll be it's today, Tony. It's over. I'll today. get it out. I'll get this out to the patrons. They can hear Oh, it. great. Well, then, yeah. if any of them listen to the end, please do. Yeah. Throw just, it in. Just click on it. Yeah. Click, click on, on that. Click on it. Vote. Give them give, give a non-fiction. It, I, I, I'm, I'm right in saying you've now, you're now a bestseller, are you? I am a bestseller and uh, nominated for non-fiction Irish book of the year 2022. So, well, yeah. I'm told, I'm told by Great many book. have read it that they think it is fiction, but that's just, you know, they're, they're <laughs> from a different side. Um, I, yeah, I, I, can, listen, you can go over to the irishbookawards.ie and vote. You can clip that in, put it at the start as well and the middle. So anyone who listens to it. Uh, listen, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get it. Look, no, nothing else. And um, we hope to see loads of you in Ballymun. And please, if you can, I'm not joking you. The, the hardest job here actually is getting the messages from people. It's really starting to bite. The cost of living crisis is really starting to bite. And you've people yeah. telling me I'd one guy um apologize and say he reduced his Patreon from the fiver down to one quid because he wanted to keep chip chipping in. And I had to email him back and say, please just cancel it. I can't I can't have that on my conscience. But if you're listening and you're getting something out of it, please help pay it for. Keep this free, keep it ad free, keep it going. It's really hard when you when you know people who've been you know, it's a small community, Rory. You know this. It's a small community across yeah. the Tortoise Shack. People are finding it hard. We're finding it hard. So whatever support you can give us, we really appreciate it. And if you're on the other side and you and you're struggling, 
um yeah don't worry about it my, my don't you can you're not hurting my feelings just just look after ah, you no, and no, yours absolutely. it's only if you can only if yeah. you can but if you can please do yeah we leave it there thanks rory oh talk you're back you with john john gibbons tomorrow talk to you yes later. john gibbons tomorrow look forward to it